You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So earlier in our series on Isaiah, we saw that Israel was going to be kidnapped, exiled. Another nation was going to move in, grab them, take them out of their nation, and put them in their own. And they would be slaves there, they would be oppressed there, they would never be in charge. Life would not be anywhere near as good as it had once been. And the reason that this is going to happen is because Israel has been full of sin, it's because they've been worshiping false gods, and because they aren't listening to God anymore. So this is their punishment for that. But then last week, we saw the beautiful thing that is to come, that one day Jesus would be born, a Messiah would come, who would save them, who would make everything perfect. He would he'd be the perfect king. He would rule with perfection. He would... Uh, uh, have perfect justice, perfect judgment of every situation. He would have God's wisdom. In fact, his, his new kingdom would be so perfect that even animals would get along. Not just with each other, but even with us. A kid could play with a snake and it wouldn't even be a problem. Like, that is Eden, right? In other words, this coming Messiah is going to make things so great that Eden will finally return to us and the world will be restored to what it once was, but now even better. That is what's ahead of us. Now that was Isaiah 11, where we saw this perfect king. We're gonna skip to Isaiah 14. In between Isaiah 11 and 14 is talk about the day of the Lord, which is this coming day of judgment. And the way that Isaiah phrases it is essentially God's going to finally come into Babylon and he's going to pull all of his people out of there. That's going to include those who were already a part of Israel and have stayed faithful to God that whole time. It's also going to include what the Bible calls sojourners. So those outside of Israel's blood and DNA who are also following God. God will come and pull all of them out and bring them into this new perfect kingdom with this new perfect King Jesus. That is what is going to happen between Isaiah 11 and 14. But another thing's gonna to happen too, the day of judgment. Everything that is wrong with the world, and that includes everyone who is not following God, everyone who has made their, their home with sin and is just staying there and not going to come to God no matter what they do, all of that belongs with Babylon. All of that belongs with the old world. None of that is to enter into this new world. And so Jesus, this Messiah, is not only going to save his people from exile, but he's also going to do away with everything that is wrong with the world. And that's the day of judgment. We recently did a series on Revelation. That is where we get to uh, uh, the judgment of every soul. Are they headed to heaven or to this lake of fire? So that happens between 11 and 14. When we get to 14 we see this interesting moment happen. And in Isaiah 14, Israel is told up, those who are the remnant, those who have gotten into this new kingdom of heaven, 
they're told to take up a taunt against the king of Babylon. They've just been saved from Babylon, and now they are to look at Babylon's king and taunt him. And here's what they're to say. To this king of Babylon, they'll say, How the oppressor has ceased! The insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the people in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. So the Messiah has saved them. The perfect world is beginning. And they look at the old world. They look at the old king and they say, we're done with you. We're done with all the pain that you caused us, how you oppressed us and hurt us and killed us. And they sing, they rejoice. And not only humanity rejoices, but nature itself, creation rejoices. There are trees, these big trees, these cedars of Lebanon, some of the, the more like referenced large trees in the Bible. For them, they almost seem to be like the redwoods of their world, right? Even the trees are like, oh, Babylon's gone. No one's cut us down recently. Yes, peace. You know, like all of creation is rejoicing at how this perfect king, this Messiah, this Jesus has restored the world. And then it goes on and tells the king what's ahead of him. Sheol, which is the underworld. It's the realm of the dead. It's where all the dead go. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. So uh, all who are leaders of the earth. So all the other kings throughout history, just like this king of Babylon, they've all gone to the same place. They thought they were all that in a bag of potato chips, but... In the end, they have all been doomed to shield. They all die just the same. We all bleed just the same is the expression we use. And these other dead kings are raising up. Yes, come to us. You're just like one of us. Says it raises from their thrones all who are kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, you too, king of Babylon, you too become weak as we. You become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. Kind of grotesque, but essentially like, you bleed the same blood as anyone. You die just the same. You're, you're not immortal. You're not as great as you thought you were, right? You're just a normal human king like the rest of us were before we died. Here's where things get interesting. Isaiah 14 suddenly changes. It's saying the same thing. But its focus shifts. Because the next words are, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. Now, if you've been with 12 Away for a while, you've heard me talk about the worldview of, of ancient biblical people. The stars are up in heaven, therefore they live in heaven, therefore they are the heavenly hosts. They are, in ancient people's minds, spiritual beings because they move around and moving is a sign that you are alive so since they're in different places every night these things must be alive and because they're up in the heavens these things must therefore be god's angels and other kinds of spiritual beings of sorts so the biblical worldview this this was their worldview so why are we talking we we're talking about king of of babylon why are we suddenly talking about some kind of spiritual being Oh, Daystar, Son of Dawn? Well, here's something interesting. If you're wondering, like, traditionally what people have thought Oh, Daystar, Son of Dawn is, you, you don't have to look that far. You just got to go to when the, Bat when the Bible was translated into Latin. 
Because when the Bible was translated into Latin, the way that O Daystar, Son of Dawn gets translated, it's put into a word called Lucifer. Lucifer is not a word in our Bibles in English. It is a Latin word for this entity that people for so long have thought of as Satan. So we're suddenly not talking about, about the king of Babylon anymore. We're suddenly talking about Satan. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, Lucifer, Satan. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. We're on the same theme. Just like the king of Babylon thought he was great, and yet Sheol was his end, just as he thought he was the best in reigning over everyone and had all this insurmountable pride, and yet he bled the same as everyone and died just like all these other kings. So this spiritual being, this Lucifer, once thought he was the best, once thought he was the great. And he wanted to ascend to the best star of all the stars, the brightest star, the greatest one, God himself. And he wanted to overthrow God so that he could take control of all the other stars. It's ridiculous thinking. Like, what kind of pride do you need to get to that point? To think that a created being could somehow usurp the creator is just illogical. But when we see pride bubble up in people... Sometimes it comes to this level of thinking, yeah, God, I know better than you do. And humanity, that's the whole story of sin. God said, eat whatever you want, don't eat from that tree. And then Satan comes along and is like, well, maybe you could. He thinks that he knows better than God, and we agree. Yeah, maybe you know better than God did. Pride, it's the sin that comes up over and over again. And when we give ourselves over to it, we are imaging Satan. And that's what the king of Babylon has done. He's given himself over to it. And so he has imaged Satan. Now, we went from king of Babylon to Satan. And then we just returned right back to the king of Babylon. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? See, man, we're not even talking about a star anymore, it's just man. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let the prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you are cast out away from your grave like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. And it's going to go on from there and basically taunt the king of Babylon. You think you're all that. Well, you're not. We have a lot of expressions today that explain what happened to Satan, that explain what happened to the king of Babylon. Expressions like, you know, pride always comes before the fall. Or sometimes when we jokingly look at someone and say, you better humble yourself, you know, because like, if you don't, you're going to mess something up. See, when we act in prideful, audacious kind of ways, God will humble us. And when we act those ways, we're acting like Satan, not like God. You know, what's very strange is Isaiah is not the only person to be talking to a king one moment and then just alluding to Satan's story the next. 
The same thing happens in Ezekiel 28, where Ezekiel is talking to the prince of Tyre. You think you're all that, you call yourself a god. And then all of a sudden he switches and talks about how Satan thought he was all that. And then comes back to the king of Tyre. So it's not like Isaiah's having a psychotic episode. Oh, what was I talking about? I just switched and started writing about Satan. My bad. This is a prophetic technique. Ezekiel did it to Tyre and Satan, and now Isaiah's done it to Babylon and Satan. And here's, here's another interesting theme that we'll see, since we just did a whole series on Revelation throughout last year. When we look at these like kingdoms of this world we come in contact with this other theme of Satan running them. Because when the king of Babylon is called out, Satan is called out in the same breath. as Almost as though Satan is living through Babylon. When the prince of Tyre is called out, Satan is called out in the same breath. Almost as though... The, the prince of Satan is living himself out through the prince of Tyre. And Revelation does this over and over again. With Rome. See, there's this three-in-one figure in Rome that sometimes scholars will use the expression, it's like an unholy trinity. You have the dragon, which is Satan, and then he rises a beast out of the water. And then another beast rises out of the land. And these chaos monsters just kind of represent like complete and total chaos from all realms of the world, from the oceans, from the land. Nothing is stable. It's just complete chaos. And each one of these is connected right back to the dragon as though the dragon is, is doing some marionettes. The beasts move when he makes them move. They're his puppets. And as you pay attention to what John says, he, he's very clear that these beasts represent Rome and they represent the emperor of Rome. And this unholy trinity lives out when Satan controls nations. And Satan controls nations when nations give themselves over to pride and to conquering and to becoming uh, full of wealth and power and all of these things, when nations give themselves over to that kind of stuff, they embody the domination cycle that is Satan. And see, here's the thing. The beasts and Babylon, these kinds of things, so many people read Revelation like, oh, what nation down the road is going to be Babylon? Oh, what political leader is going to be be the beast? That's not the way it works. Yes, the Bible does talk about one day there will just be the ultimate evil of evils. But as far as the beast goes, and as far as the nations go, as Babylon, it's a cycle. It's already happened. The king of Babel was a beast. The king of Babylon was a beast, and Babylon was the nation Babylon. The prince of Tyre was a beast, and Tyre became a Babylon. In John's time, it was Rome. Like Lady Babylon in, in, in John's time, he's not talking about Babylon because Babylon was already gone. It had already collapsed. He was talking about Rome. Rome was its own Babylon, and the emperor of Rome, Nero, he was a beast.
fact, that's probably what 666 meant. The, the uh, um, name of the beast, 666. It's clear that John wasn't writing to us. He was writing to his people. He says, one of you will have the understanding to understand this. So here's a number, 666. If you do an old system called Gematria, where Hebrew letters equal numbers, and you do the math, Nero's name comes out to 666. Now, if they really didn't mean Nero, they meant someone else. It was still someone in their time. Because John knew that his people would find someone in their churches who would understand what he meant when he said 666. That he wasn't speaking in, in a complete code that couldn't be translated for thousands of years. He was speaking in a code where someone else would just have to, oh, number game. I got this. Hang on. Let me figure it out. So John's saying, like, the beast is here already. The beast is a cycle. Babylon is a cycle. And when we read what, uh, when we read, like, what makes Babylon Babylon in Revelation, we have to be honest. America does all the same things. America lives out Babylon. And, I mean, as far as, you know, like this past week, the insurrection at the Capitol, Trump trying to overthrow everything and rile up an audience to, to believe in conspiracy theories and just try to, to overthrow all reason... In my opinion, that's acting like a beast. It's not the first time he's done it. I'm not calling Trump the beast. I'm just saying he's a part of the cycle at this point. It's happened too many times. You can make your own decisions, of course. But when nations give themselves over to Satan, these kinds of things will happen. Babylon and the beast, the unholy trinity of Satan, will always appear. Now, John tells us to fix our attention somewhere else. Isaiah told us to fix our attention somewhere else. We have the perfect king. We don't need Babylon. We have the perfect king. We don't need the king of Babylon. It's, it's true today. We have Jesus. He is our king. If you are a Christian, then Jesus alone is your king. And anything he says is what you need to do. That's how kings work. That's what it means to be a citizenship, uh, have citizenship under that king's kingdom. Yeah, you live on the earth, but your real kingdom is heaven under Jesus. And so when you live by heaven, You are doing what you are supposed to do because your allegiance is in the right place. And when you live by the king of heaven, you are doing what you're supposed to do because you're living out the allegiance to the correct king. And one of the things that's happened lately is we've created this, this Christian nationalism where we look at the beast and we say, I know I've got Jesus, but maybe I can overtake this thing. And it's, it's a grotesque image when you stop and think about it. Because John works in symbols, right? He tells us that we're following the lamb. He's hobbling, he's broken, he's bleeding, but he's right. We, we wish that he looked more like a lion, but he's a lamb bleeding with his own blood. And he's right. And if we follow that lamb, then we are going the right way. But we look at, at the beast of this world who, who tries to look like a lamb. John says that he's got two horns like a lamb, but he, he hisses like a beast, like a dragon. We look at that beast and we say, well, maybe we can make you look more like a lamb with just enough makeup. Maybe we can, maybe, 
Maybe there's a lamb in there somewhere that we can work with. The grotesque image that we paint is we take King Jesus and the kings of this world and we say, maybe we can, we can marry this together. Maybe we can make a relationship out of this. And that's what Christian nationalism is. If nationalism is following Satan, following the beast, then Christian nationalism is trying to marry our faith into that somehow creating an image that does not line up with the gospel whatsoever and needs to be confronted and condemned. We follow Jesus or we follow the beast. Isaiah and John do not give us a choice to do both. Now, I am not saying that you don't impact the nations of this world, right? Prayer Jesus taught us is that we are to... Um, uh, you know, make heaven on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means that the way we do politics, we're going to impact politics. That means the way that nations work, we're going to impact nations because we're God's prophetic voice against injustice. We see injustice, we call it out. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. So yes, we will impact the beast. But when we give ourselves over to the beast and worship it, or try to pretend that the beast is the lamb because he's got horns like a lamb, that is something else other than Christianity. And we can't live that out. And this past week was perhaps one of the most visible times in America where we have ever seen just how prevalent that prophetic word against trying to make the beast Christianity is. It's heretical, dangerous, and blasphemy. And we have to call it out as it is. Follow Jesus. Follow the perfect king. The one who judges right. The one who has God's wisdom. The one who knows what he's doing. Live in his country. And as you live your life each week, allow his country to permeate the world's country around you. But do not give yourself over to the world's country and become it in order to try to cram Jesus into a box he doesn't fit in. Jesus himself saw that Satan has power over this world. It's part of the reason it was such a temptation when Satan's like, you don't have to take the cross. I got another way. Bow down, worship me. I'll give you whatever you want. And Jesus faced that temptation all the way to his death. Peter at one point comes up and is like, hey, Jesus, um, you just said you're going to die. Far be it from you. That won't happen. Jesus rebukes Peter. Rebukes. That's a word usually used against demons. He's rebuking demonic thought. And then he looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, that same temptation. There's another way. You don't have to die on a cross. You don't have to hobble. You don't have to be bloodied. You can, you can rise up in power and pride and Babylon and Rome and Tyre. You can have all that. There's another way. At one point, Jesus has to run away to a mountain because he feared that they were all going to make him king. He's running away from temptation. And then when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, that's intentional. He's in a garden. He is at his own tree, choosing if he's going to eat the fruit or not of Satan 
or give his obedience over to God. There he is in the garden facing the temptation one more time. He says, God, not your will, but my will be done. If there is another way we can do this, could we please do it? But if not, just your will. And so many Christians have risen up with every Babylon that has come about throughout the centuries and said, I know Jesus refused this, but I'm better than that. And I can take control of this world and I can handle that power properly. And everything that acts like that and lives like that and gives its allegiance to that beast is doomed to die. Whereas those who keep their allegiance with Jesus live forever. And that is an important word from Isaiah, from Ezekiel, from John today. Shield does not have to be the end for everyone. Because heaven is the end for those who follow Jesus. Because heaven is Jesus' country. Amen.